The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. All right, boys and girls, welcome back to Brutal Nation for our Tuesday episode. I know you guys are excited. I am, too. I'm your host, the mighty, the wonderful, the powerful Oz. No, it's just me, Scott Alexander. Right across from me is the one, the only, the cur- the currently masticating. I <laughs> know, I had to hurry up and swallow. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to go I there. set you for, up for that one. I am pr- I'm actually very proud of myself. Very, very I know. proud of myself. No, I had to hurry up and swallow. Tammy. Uh, I had something further in the middle, but then my brain actually stopped because I don't have enough booze in me. <laughs> <laughs> you have too much. Tammy, the crock-wearing Underwood. Say hi, Tam. <laughs> hi, everybody. They're sliders, bitch. <laughs> they are fucking crocs with a larger hole. No, they're Because we know that you like the I've, large I've hole. I've worn crocs before, but no, these are called sliders. Uh-huh. Whatever, croc wear. All right, so today we have part two of I'm a cock wearer. (laughs) I've never been so fucking disgusted in my life. I'm a little too drunk, but okay. Wait till we get to the boozy... uh, Hot chocolate? What's in those? You'll see. Okay. Schnapps? Mm -hmm. Peppermint? Your choice, peppermint or cream de mint. Mm. Okay, anyways. Anyway, today we got part two of the... Spalowski brothers. Spahalski. Spahalski. I, I want to call them spaghetti so bad, and I don't even know why. I want to call them the spaghetti brothers. They're not even Italian. I know. But this looks like spaghetti to me. You're weird. You know what else is weird? Tell that, me. That you won't let me uh, attend to your mom's health problems. No, I was going to say that you tried to use a butt plug the other day. Try nothing. I don't have to try. I succeed. That, yeah, because, you know... We all know what you do on Sundays. Two words for you, It's woman. ass rape Sunday, so. It's two words. Fire hydrant. <laughs> they make a big pop. That's disgusting, and it's hyphenated. But anyways, no, it's ass rape Sunday, Scott. No, it's ass fisting Sundays. Thank you very oh, much. Oh, there you go. Okay, right. smash. My bad. All right, so let's get to the part two of this, because we got to get through some episodes and do a little dance, make a little love, get down tonight. That's right, baby. Well, anyways, remember in part one of the Spahalski brothers, Robert had gone into the police station to tell him that he had killed his best friend. Right. And then comes out and admits to two other murders. But he had a drug problem, too, if, if I'm remembering Oh, yeah, he right. was a total uh, crackhead. Right. Okay. Yeah. I just want to make sure that I'm catching up correctly. Yeah. But- no, he was, every, every time he did drugs, he was hiring crack. Right, and he had uh, that, but he killed only when he was high, right, or coming down, or something. It was something that was drug right. related, exactly. And then remember, he didn't want to admit to the uh, the fourth murder because he didn't want to be considered a serial killer. Oh yeah, no, I remember. But that. then like, Dude, the officer, yeah, the officers were like, "Yeah, you admitted to three, you're already a killer." Yeah, it's a like, serial quit doing, killer. Quit doing crack, there, uh, homie, and why don't you do a little bit of fucking research? The title I had actually used for that section, because I subtitle all my sections, um, is I'm a killer, but I'm not a serial killer. Because I was thinking of Patrick Kearney when he said, I'm a, I'm a serial killer, but I'm not that serial killer. i got to put this out there because I am a little sad now that you I mentioned know. Patrick. I'm used to getting a letter from Patrick once a week. Every other week, usually. Because you mail other? him one. Oh, and that's then, right. Yeah. It takes two weeks. 
And I'm a little sad because I have not gotten his letter. And it, it, it's the Christmas season. So people are mailing shit, I understand. but Yeah, and he could be busy with all the Christmas activities there. Because no. they have a lot of activities in here's, prison. You'd be surprised. Here's where I'm concerned. You ready? Yes. I'm sorry. I'm getting all choked up. We had like Christmas parties and all that shit. I think that he's being a whore cheating on me with somebody else. You think he's writing somebody else? Yes. Patrick, 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 baby, honey. <laughs> If you don't are leave hearing me. this, don't leave me. Don't write somebody else. I love you the most. That other person's a whore. They're a whore. Write me, please. It should have been me. <laughs> Taylor Swift over there. Oh, my God. I need to call my counselor now. God damn it. Yeah, you haven't talked to Justin in a while, have you? No, I haven't. It's, a, it's amazing. Ever since I got divorced and everything like that, uh, my life has gotten exponentially better. It's because I'm in your life now. You but, and I met shortly after your divorce. That sounds about right. But yeah, my life has gotten... Ex- <laughs> like, no, like seriously, my stress level's gone way down. I'm happier. I'm more productive. Because um, you're free to be yourself. Yeah, exactly. I don't have somebody there, you know, trying to beat me down in a, in a way. Uh, yeah. Build, build herself up by beating you down. Yeah, and, and demeaning me and demas- yeah. emasculating me all the time. So it's... Did she emasculate you? No, constantly. Like, seriously. No, That's I was even, like... Because we've had serial killers that emasculate, so... Yeah, that that was totally her. But except, I mean, she didn't like... Cut it off. She didn't cut my junk off or anything. But, yeah, well... Yeah, but words hurt, too. Oh, so, yeah. Too I much. always say, words are like toothpaste. Once you say them, you can't put them back. Yeah, you know, and my, my life has gotten exponentially better because of a certain person. I was going to say me. Besides you. Whatever. No, you make my life better because, like, seriously, I can't get half the shit done I got to get done without you. Well, yeah. You're you like know. the best assistant on the fucking planet. <laughs> like, fucking fantabulous. Yeah. But no, my, my, my life has gotten exponentially better. Um, no, that's good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's very, very much happy. Very, 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 very happy. By and large. I mean, I do have my bad days. With you, well, of course, we all do. But yeah, I haven't had to call and talk to Justin, and well, you know, happy. like when you and I get into an argument over a misunderstanding, because I'm always right. Anyway, well, no, and I always have to tell you, don't take my words out of context. I know what I'm saying. Continue <laughs> on with the spaghetti brothers. Okay, so anyways, Robert is going to stand trial now because he was arrested for four murders. By the time his trial proceedings began in January of 2006, he decided not to plead guilty. On all the charges move. against him. Exactly. In the beginning, he planned on going with the insanity defense. Because he's crazy. Right. Oh, he's he's well, high on the crack cocaine and he's crazy. Yeah. Um. Anyways, however, at some point he decided, he made a decision to change a strategy. Possibly because the uh, insanity defense is very difficult. To prove in court. It's tricky, yeah. Very tricky. Yeah, because you have to prove that you were either A, not knowledgeable about what you were doing, or you had to B, not know you were wrong doing it. Well, plus, uh, I think what a lot of people don't realize is it's not just one side of the case that has to prove the insanity. So if the defense calls their their, their specialist in, mm-hmm. and he says, yes, Tammy is insane. Well, guess what? The prosecution gets to call their specialist. Right, and have me evaluated. Yeah, Yeah. and their specialist might look at you and go, she's got problems. Yeah, I actually had to be... But not insane. Had to see a psychiatrist for both sides. Not because I I, claimed insanity, but they wanted to know how dangerous I I was to society. I wasn't even poking fingers or furniture this time. No, I'm just being... I was, you know... 
Yeah, because uh, and this is what. Yeah, so it doesn't have to be just the insanity defense. It you know they have to deem how dangerous I was to society. Right, because me and intern were having a discussion about that just a a little bit ago, probably like an hour ago, that uh, it came up along with uh, the uh, uh, discovery period where both sides have to share what they have. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So if I have something as defense, I have to share it with prosecution. Oh, yeah, totally. And vice versa, because if mm-hmm. you don't, it's a mistrial. Mm-hmm. And that's done. in any legal setting, business law, yeah. criminal law, civil law, all that shit. Right. The, the, the horse shit that they show sometimes on TV where it goes, we have a surprise piece of evidence. It's, it, it, no. They can't even fucking call. The only time they can call a witness that isn't on the list is if it's a rebuttal witness. Mm-hmm. That's the only time. Or if they at the last minute, found a witness, but they have to submit that to the court before they can call the witness. Right, because you have to give both sides mm-hmm. a chance to prepare exactly for cross-examination. Exactly. You know? It's, 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 it's That's why they fair. have depositions. That's right. God yeah. damn it. So anyways, he changed his mind. He goes, not going to go with the insanity defense. And Robert's trial was for all four murders and lasted approximately two weeks. Instead of severing the trial, severing the case, uh, charges and trying each one. Right. They charge them all, which I've seen them do before. So it actually makes economic sense because yeah, because each four trial, yeah, capital punishment trials, yeah, you know, where capital punishment as the is the eventual goal or could be, you mm-hmm. know, that takes a whole lot. It's it's a lot better just to kind of group them together. And go look. Oh we're yeah. In trial anyway. Let's fucking get them all done. Yeah, and not only that is cuz you pay the jurors, not very right. much, but you pay them. Yeah, like the 2 cents in a fucking motorcycle uh, Yeah, I got 50 some cents per mile uh both ways round trip from door to door and I got $50 a day when I was called for federal. Damn, you know. Yeah. Well, I, and I know somebody else who was called for state and they got like a check for like $10 and some odd cents. I go, "What the fuck is well, that?" You know what? Since Get I, called up for federal jury. Since I can't buy my private jet right now, I'm thinking I should go on a jury because with all that money. I know. I mean, and if you get actually get on the jury, if it goes longer than a week, that $50 a day bumps up to 75 Woo. I yeah. can only hope for the best. So I'll be living can you in the imagine what the freaking jury on the Gypsy Jokers were getting paid? Because it was a month and a half long. Oh, my God. But at least they didn't sequester them. And they broke, they went to deliberation. This is what's really weird about that case is they broke for deliberation on the Sunday, on the Friday before Thanksgiving. Had that entire week of Thanksgiving break. And then they resumed deliberation on the following Monday. Could you imagine how hard it would have been to be with your family during Thanksgiving and not be able to talk about that (laughs) fucking case? It would have killed me. Oh, shit, yeah. Killed me. It would have killed me just talking to you every day on the phone. I'm just fucking floored that they pay so little because, you know, people have to earn a fucking living. And I know. And if you're a federal employee, you have to waive that fee. That's fucking. Oh, and they give you $18 flat fee for parking. Which it only cost me fourteen dollars to park all day, so you know that yeah, was no, good, but still four bucks. But still, man, I know that like most people, I make more than let's say I make more than a hundred dollars a day. Yeah, if we bind, if we bind everything, you make more together. than a hundred dollars for working at least two hours, three hours maybe. Maybe. Yeah, I do okay for a white guy. Yeah, <laughs> my mom used to make almost forty bucks an hour, so I I do okay. <laughs> You're pretty. You're pretty fly for a white guy. 
And all the girlies say I'm pretty fly for a white guy. Because <laughs> your milkshake brings all the girls to the yard. Anyways, so the prosecution, oh, my God, I don't, that is not a milkshake. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it kind of was. <laughs> no, it's more like a brown shake with you lately. With your mom? That could be a milkshake because it would be all full of cream. Why would yours be full of cream? No, your mom's would be. Oh, though. gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> She's my Twinkie of love. Oh, my God. So, um, the prosecution, a guy by the name of Ken Hyland, wanted to show the jury that Robert was a very dangerous individual that needed to be locked away from society for as long as it was legally possible to do so. Okay? And remember, this happened in early 2000s. So, in order to do this, Hyland called nearly 40 witnesses to testify and entered upwards of 200 exhibits into evidence. Jesus Christ. It wasn't the tons. Remember that when, you know, the Ing and and Lake. Yeah. Well, on Ing. With with Ing, they had like something like, I don't know, like, what was it like? Four tons or something? Yeah. Some stupid amount of evidence. Astronomical amount of evidence. Yeah. (laughs) Fucking crazy shit. It was awesome. And yet he's still sitting there going, I should be pardoned because my Cheetos were soggy. Yeah, he wanted. Yeah, he's filed the lawsuit for soggy Cheetos and um, <laughs> said that he was just a martyr because Lake he committed suicide. Yeah. Taking that cyanide tablet, remember? Fucking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Look, that's how everybody should go out. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, um, therefore, the bulk of his efforts involved matching the physical evidence the state had with the confessions that Robert had given the detectives. Now, Robert's attorney, a guy by the name of Joe D'Amelio, which that's a total New York name, right? That is. That that doesn't even sound like anybody who should be in that position. It sounds like he should be like a truck driver or for garbage. The mob. Yeah, for the mob. Hey, my name is Joe D'Amelio. I'm here to collect the um, protection money from you. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You don't want to wind up in the harbor, do yous? <laughs> With the cement shoes. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, um, the prosecution... Oh, I already said that. Joe- oh, there I am. He centered his defense on the legal reliability of his client's 13-plus hour interrogation. Because remember, he was there for a long-ass right. time. Yeah, he spent a bit of time there yeah. it up. But, they, you know, they had the breaks and everything. They offered him food. Um, anyways, he claimed that Robert's history of drug abuse combined, combined with his inability to take his medication while he was being questioned. Cause you know, he came like as he was coming down off crack. Right. And then, you know, he didn't get his medication right away that he was prescribed meant that he was never of sound mind when he walked into the police station. It's a legit defense. It is a legit defense. Um, as such, Robert most definitely didn't have the mental capacity to sign four different confessions of guilt. By those standards, his client's confessions should be stricken from the record. That's what he said. No, I, I would go that same, that same path. Yeah, yeah totally. I, would, I would use that same strategy. When the judge allowed the confessions to stay on record, though, D'Amelio tried something else. He tried to focus the jury's attention on Robert's specific sociological, no, physiological, excuse me, and so and psychological formula in regards to each of the four murders. He argued that since Robert was a regular abuser of crack cocaine 
and he was extremely emotionally disturbed, you know, because he, he had all those mental conditions, he couldn't possibly have developed a true intent to murder the victims, which I don't believe Legit. he did yeah. when he, you know, because of how he, they occurred. Now, D'Amelio then picked up two bags of crack cocaine. This is his strategy. Picked up the two bags of crack cocaine, placed them in front of the jury before he said, the demons here, the demons are here. And it's affected his mind. Good play. No, yeah. I got to be honest. That, that's a really good play. Because two bags of crack cocaine is a lot, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so Highland countered, the prosecution countered by emphasizing the fact that striking somebody over the head with a hammer because of a $20 discrepancy was not only extremely personal, it was brutally violent, which it is. It is, but... Because it was over $20 damn dollars. But here's the thing is, when you're coming off of any kind of a high... Oh, my God, yes. Or even in the middle of that high. You're not exactly of your right mind, and you're not exactly to be... Pleasant to be around. Let me put it that yeah, way. Yeah, I thought Not fucking pleasant. garden gnomes were chasing after me one time when I was high. Sweet. So that tells you my mental faculties at the time. Oh, shit, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, the defense is looking good right now. Yeah. Looking good. Okay. Well, anyways, the murders he committed by strangling his victims using a rope or appliance cord were equally as, you know, personal and violent. It's not like he shot a gun from a distance. Right, so, but you got to take into consideration his mental state at the right, time. Right, exactly. Like, okay, when I quit using, my mind was a lot clearer. And I'm a naturally violent person. That's why I had to take classes. Um, you need but, to go back to those classes. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I might, just to deal with you. Yeah. Um, but when I was getting high, coming down, oh, believe me, when man. worse. Well, then you're bad now if you quit taking your medication. Yeah, if I quit taking my fucking crazy pills now, then my life's a shit show. Yeah. Um, Not physically. I'm just emotionally abusive. And then I'm pissed off at the fucking world. Yeah. Um, That's why I took two today. Because (laughs) I forgot my one from yesterday. Yeah, well, there you go. But, um, so yeah, I mean, he didn't have his meds. And um, he probably forgot to take his meds while he was using. Oh, most definitely. So there's a chemical imbalance there. He's coming down off the high. A lot of people use to self-medicate. So, yeah. Yeah, so there you go. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so Highland also stated in terms of the law, I mean, and I agree with this statement too, voluntary intoxication is not an exculpatory defense. No, it isn't, but... Yeah, especially if the person chose to partake in the drug use and was aware of the dangers and potential results of using the drugs, how did this apply to Robert's case? It's It's complicated, but it's simple. And it's relevant to that, relatively simple to understand. If Robert would have only committed one murder, this may have been viable defense. However, Robert committed his first murder back in 1990. And in 2005, um, he remembered the details of that murder when he killed the first, the last lady. Therefore, he was aware that if he continued to smoke crack cocaine, there was a potential for him to commit murder each and every time. Yet, despite him knowing the potential outcome, he continued to put the pipe in his mouth. Okay, but this is where I'm going to come to this dude's defense. And here's the thing. How many how many services are there out there for indigent people to, right, get, to get drug treatment? To get Not drug a treatment. lot. There's, there's a methadone clinic. Yeah, but that's but, still drugs. That's about all you have. There's no, I mean, you can get great, you can go to the Betty Ford Clinic or any clinic you want if you have money. Oh, yeah. 
But they have a lot of good ones around here if you have money. Yeah, if you can spend that thousand yeah, dollars a day, Newburgh, it's five hundred to a thousand dollars a day. Yeah, you know, and if you can spend that, then yeah, you can get that. But this dude doesn't have a fucking pot to piss in. He's a crackhead for fuck's sakes. Yeah, and he, you know, not which exactly, we all know is a poor man's drug. That is a total poor man's drug. That's that's dirty coke is what it is. Yeah, um, and uh, you know, so here they are. They're, they're blaming him. So really, where? Where is he going to go for help to get rid of that demon? Right. Nowhere. Yeah, and he can't get the medication he needs because he's indigent. Right. You know, which I've said many times. When people go to jail, they get all this me- the psychological medications, but they don't get that when they get out. Exactly. So they quit using it, you know. So if Robert had only... Oh, I already said that. Um, not to mention, every time Robert committed a murder, he knew what he had done was wrong. And this was evident in the fact that in three of those murders, he actually tried to cover his tracks and misguide the authorities. The jury broke for deliberation on November 13th, and before the three-hour mark, they were ready to deliver a verdict. But then I, I chalk it up to this. Yeah, he knew it was wrong, but let's take people who are compulsive shoppers. Now, it's not murder, but it's a compulsive shopper. Or shoplifters, yeah. Or, or even shoplifters, which is a crime. You know it's wrong, but if it's a compulsion you have... Right. Uh, yeah, shoplifters cannot stop. You have that with the, with, with the combination of the drug use, mm-hmm. no help to get clean. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, he knew it was wrong. Right. You know, but I'm not condoning what he did. No. Before people start misunderstanding. I'm just saying I kind of understand a little bit. Right. And it was I kind of understand why the defense was going for a lesser sentence. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Because totally, totally. they weren't contesting whether he did it or not. Right. You got to yeah. kind of look at the big picture. Everything's not always black and white, you know, and that's unfortunately how. Well, and we said that before, because yeah. like with the uh, Joshua Phillips case, the oh, law yeah. tried to be completely black and white when life has gray areas. It does. Yeah. Yeah, and I still yeah. feel really bad for Joshua Phillips. I mean, I know, me too. Fucking poor kid got railroaded. I need to send off that letter. I keep but forgetting. He did. He's doing fantastic from what we yeah, understand. Yeah, he's, he's realizing really... he was wrong, and you right. know, right, and he's done a lot of changing. And anyway, yeah. we can get yeah, we can talk about made, Josh. Yeah, all day he night. made a decision in the heat of the moment, and he did. Yeah, yeah. So this the jury actually found him guilty on the following counts. Okay, he was guilty on intentional second-degree murder in the strangulation death of Vivian Irizarry, which is the last murder. Two counts of second-degree murder in beating death of Charles Grande. One count was due to the felony robbery. That's a big Charles, not a little Charles. It's a Grande Charles with whipped cream. And there were two counts because one count was due to the felony robbery that was associated with it. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because... In Oregon, I know you can be charged with aggravated murder, even if it, you know, isn't very severe of a murder, if you did it in the commission of another crime. Right. So, intentional second degree uh, murder for the strangulation death of Maureen Armstrong, and then intentional second degree murder for the strangulation of Adrian Berger, Berger, whatever. (laughs) It's not Berger, but... Um, in essence, the jury felt that Robert was more than aware of his actions and how wrong they were when he murdered each victim. Um, during the sentencing phase of the trial held on December 12th, 
Highland asked the court to impose the maximum allowable sentence of 25 years for each of the murder counts he had been convicted of. Because none of them were first-degree murder. Okay, so the death penalty is off the table. Yeah. Okay, well, that's at least something. Yeah. So he even pushed for the sentences to be run consecutively as opposed to concurrently. Good, good. Yeah. In the end, the judge sentenced Robert Bruce Spahalski to 100 years. So he got the 25 years per murder. See, and that's bullshit. They they did that because he's indigent. Mm Mm-hmm. And I've said this before, this is one of my fucking sore spots right here, is that because he didn't have enough money, mm-hmm. he's going to deal with that. Had he been like O.J. Simpson, if the glove don't fit, you must quit. bullshit going on, he would have walked. Yeah. Or even it, Robert Blake's defense. I mean, yeah. He walked, too. Yeah, exactly. I've been told all the time that, oh, people are mad because O.J. Simpson got away with it. And he was like, I said, no, people are mad because O.J. Simpson committed a murder and got away with it. We yeah. feel the same way about Robert Blake. And he's freaking white as fuck. Yeah, he is, man. I fucking hate him. And then there's the one that fucking, um, uh, what was his name that commit, they believe killed his wife, Natalie Wood. When he drowned her in a boat off the oh, boat, and then yeah, he's yeah. in freaking um, he's in the fucking um, Austin Powers movies and everything. He's number two. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember um, his name either. But yeah, he they think he committed murder and Wagner. That, Wagner. Yeah, Robert uh, Wagner. Robert Wagner. Yeah, and that pisses me off. Yeah, exactly. It so, comes down to money, and yeah. I've said it before. I don't think that justice for me should be different than justice for anybody else yeah money should be off the fucking table justice is fucking justice right because i don't have money and i mean i had i well good thing my case was high profile and i got a good defense attorney but still that's not the point <laughs> which in my lesser charge later that i got afterwards he actually defended me too oh, i nice. got him back so yeah where was i oh so um even though the state suspects Robert was responsible for more unsolved murders. There has never been evidence uh, to formally charge him for any of them, so there's a chance he may never face prosecution on them if he did commit You're them. you have to adjust your mic a little bit. Am I? Is yeah. that better? Uh, we'll find out. Keep talking. Okay. I had to hit Control-Enter. So, as I stated earlier, Robert had an identical twin brother. Remember that? Right. Named Stephen. And, Hi, Stephen. Yeah. And the reason why this case was so, and I'll get into it a little more later, is that Stephen committed a murder decades before Robert did, but they're identical twins, and the murder was committed almost identically. Damn nice. Yeah, and it's Robert had no clue how Stephen had killed the guy. He just knew he got convicted of killing him. Okay? So... Um, they actually hold that rare distinction when it comes to twins. Because remember, it's like it's common for a twin to kill their twin. Right. And it's common for twins to commit a murder together. Correct. But to commit them separately from each other. Were they estranged or were they close? Or They were close in the beginning. Okay. But then they kind of went their separate ways. Okay. So um, when Stephen was only 16 years old, he killed 48-year-old Ronald Ripley. And according to Stephen, Ronald approached him one day, propositioned him for sex, and he reacted negatively. Okay? Which, uh, Gerald Grande. Right, right, right. You know, same situation pretty much. Although Robert did have sex with him, 
he didn't pay him what he was supposed to. Right. So, Stephen struck Ronald over the head with a hammer. Exactly like the Grande one. Sounds familiar. And the blows he inflicted on Richard were nearly identical to the place and straight, you know, severity of the blows. To the ones that Robert, on the two victims that Robert bludgeoned with the same weapon. Because he used a hammer in two different murders. Damn, nice. Yeah. So I sure this uh, this story doesn't belong on fucking into the abyss. Yeah, kind of it does, show? but this is a true story. So, a journalist by the name of Gary Craig managed to arrange an interview with Stephen while he was in Attica. He had wanted to sit down with both of the brothers, but at the time Robert wouldn't consent. Okay, okay yeah. Until they paid, he said, "I'll consent if you pay me." Because I'm a hoe. You got to pay me, But, you know, bitch. I kind of see that. We kind of see that a lot yeah. with our serial killers. But even though only one twin was participating, it was still a rare opportunity for a journalist. Because, well, you sure. know, I understand that. you. I would love to have been that journalist, you know. Yeah. So when Stephen was charged and convicted of killing Ronald, his charge was only for manslaughter. At his sentencing, he was ordered to spend only eight years in prison. Now, as soon as Stephen was released, he hooked up with a friend, and they went on a rampage. He was arrested again and charged with burglary and kidnapping, and needless to say, he was sent back to the penitentiary, and he served his time for those charges and released back to the public again. After this release, it didn't take him long to get picked up again in 1999, and that time he was charged with a parole violation, and although he was scheduled to be released in the spring of 2006, he refused to participate in the court-ordered anti-violence course, so he has had to stay in prison. Damn. He's like Craig pricing them. Hey, dude, the, the, the fucking... The anger management course, an anti-violence course, is, is it, not that it's hard. not that bad, dude. I, I did it for one year, and then I canceled for a couple after that. Yeah. So it's not that bad, dude. It's fucking. I took like three of them, Damn. so. Yeah. I, uh, I learned a lot, actually. That's why I stayed on as a counselor and a, and a I mentor. I wasn't even a parent, and I took a parenting class, so there you go. No, I had to. I had to, I had to take parenting classes. I had to take uh, domestic violence class and anger management. Yeah. And I Were said you this, like fucking um, Adam Sandler when you first started anger management? I never saw the movie. You never saw that? Oh, my God. It was hilarious. No, I, I love telling people this story because it might help some people out. So when I first was court-ordered to take the, the anger management domestic violence class, when I went in, honest to God, I'm looking around, listening to these people go, fuck these people, man. I'm nothing like these assholes. That's how I felt with my court-order Look AA. at this fucking asshole over here. He fucking slugged his wife in the fucking face. And this guy over here. And says it was her fault. Yeah. And this guy over here, you know, he's like taking a baseball bat to his kids. I'm nothing like these assholes. Right. Until I started really listening. Mm-hmm. And really seen the big picture to where while I'm, I wasn't necessarily physically violent, mm-hmm. you know, with the exception of spanking my kid's ass with a pa- with a paddle, which is you can in, in Washington, you can discipline your kids. You can spank right. with you an open hand. You can't use a weapon. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. Yeah. Oregon, you can do it as long as it's an open hand Correct. and not you like a closed fist or a weapon. Yeah. Correct. Um, and uh, so I'm listening going, holy shit. Some of the things I've said is really fucking abusive, mm-hmm. super abusive. And I started kind of going, oh, fuck, I do need help. Right. And I started actually working the program. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you guys to this day, if you have a problem, seek help, because it honestly got changed my life. 
Right. It and it might not work life. with the first place, but right. find a place. Yeah, you might have to go to two or three different programs, mm-hmm. you know, to find the one that works best for you that, that you kind of jive with, but it's worth it. Mm-hmm. It will change your fucking life. And right. remember to speak into your microphone. What a- <sighs> I moved because I was eating and I didn't want them to hear me chewing. <laughs> They want them then to they hear heard me you choking. Masticate. I know I did swallow that. Piece of <laughs> I bet you did. So shut up. Swallowing um, the meat. Shut up. <laughs> it ask is it. actually, but shut up. Yeah, just ask it for a friend, man. Yeah, for yourself. <laughs> for a friend named Scott. Anyways, so then Stephen talked to Gary about how he and Robert were both accomplished gymnasts when they were younger. Um, in a later interview that Robert did sit down for, he said that he was an Olympic hopeful at the time. However, he didn't see a future in it because back then, unless a gymnast was actually put on a Wheaties box, there was no money to be made. You know? All right. Yeah. Um, which I can understand because it's not like football or basketball and, you know, you have the dream team and shit. You know, I'm, I'm sorry. The only real sport, seriously, is figure skating. I love figure skating and gymnastics. I, I okay. I'm going to tell you a secret. I actually wanted to be a figure skater. You've said that to me before, and I cannot picture it. I really did, and I still, if my knees weren't bad, I would be trying to be a figure skater. You're going to be a Tanya Harding. <laughs> Maybe. Who, by the way, is from Oregon, and I, know. I dated a guy from who Oregon dated City. her. It was from Malala in Oregon City, right? Mm-hmm. And I tell you what, I would look way better in that dress. And she skated at Lloyd Center. I would look way sexier in that dress than she would. Yeah, but I'm sure you wouldn't bludgeon somebody in the knee because you wanted their position on the Olympic team. No, hell no, man. That's what she had somebody do. I would have, however, massaged her vagina. Yeah. I was actually pen pals with the security guard that got in trouble for that, but that's another story. You have the most odd fucking people, man. Weird people. Whatever, dude. I'm a weird person. Here I am pining though, still over Patrick. Yeah, and the, I fucking wrote one of the worst serial killers in Oregon history. I'm writing him a letter asking if he's cheating on me. I got to find out. Yeah, I even wrote or, this other guy that killed his wife, but who's the subject of one of Ann Rule's books? But that's another. I story can understand too. killing your wife. I really can. Yeah, <laughs> it was death by sunset. He tried to make it look like a suicide. Anyways, um, come up a little bit with your. Okay, I was looking. Sorry. No, it's cool. I'm just trying to yeah. look at the level. So Stephen and Robert's parents divorced before the boys were teenagers. However, when asked later, neither one blamed their violent actions on poor upbringing. That's good because yeah. you know what? We hear that a lot. Where well, they, go, they were well, Olympic hopeful, so you know their parents supported them. It was because of my parents, and they did this and yeah. that. I like that. So far, because they're basically saying, hey, look, my mom was okay, our dad was okay. I'm just a little fucking dickhead. Yeah, they just said they just had a long history of antisocial behavior and violent activity. Yeah, this is it's all my fault. I, I can appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. So when Gary told Stephen his twin brother was being charged with murder, Stephen actually said, I thought I was the only murderer in the family. When he was asked for a specific reason why Robert would have killed the victims, Stephen said he couldn't think of anything off the top of his head. There's no reason why he would have done it. You know, it's not like he had suffered abuse or anything like that. Right. You right, know? right. They're just assholes. That's yeah, fine. Yeah, pretty much. I can accept that because they, they own it. Yeah. They're like, hey, we're, we're just exactly. fucking assholes. So Stephen said that he and Robert were very close growing up. I mean, as close as identical twins most generally are. When Stephen went to prison for the murder... 
I mean, even though he wasn't aware of how the guy murdered, he still went to see him regularly because that's oh. his twin brother in jail. Right, exactly. Yeah. He's, then Stephen said over the years of incarceration, those visits eventually turned into written correspondence, which I have seen happen too because out here we go on with our lives. Right. And we forget that they're stuck in theirs. Right, right. You yeah, know? Yeah, totes. Yeah. So um, then, in the, then as the case so often goes, those letters did become few and far between. Okay? Which I see that happening. So Stephen talked about one incident in 1978 when he and Robert had to be housed together in a facility because Robert had gotten in trouble for some of his minor crimes. Okay. Yeah, remember how... Okay, and that's the weird thing, and I think I get into it later, is when Stephen's criminality happened, he was in prison for longer periods of time and was out for shorter Right. When Robert's things were happening, he was out for long periods of time and in jail for shorter. So it's like they were kind of opposite in that effect, you know, like almost like mirror twins, <laughs> you know. So, OK, so they were actually together during one of Robert's short stints. I can't. Oh, here they are. They were at the Auburn Correctional Facility in New York and Robert had come up with a plan to escape. The guards who caught him had trouble identifying him as Robert. They thought he might have been Stephen because Stephen tried to cover for him. As a result, they were actually both sent to isolation for punishment <laughs> because they didn't know who was who. Which, you know what? I get that. Fair enough, man. You know, because I had identical twins in school that would often switch places in class. You know, because one twin was better at a subject than the other one often did that that's brilliant yeah i mean it can't happen with fraternal twins but identical twins can get away with that shit um especially if they have similar names like edward and edwin um by the time stephen sat down with gary for the interview he had actually come completely out of the closet as a gay man he was actually yeah he um he was actually transsexual because he had started dressing like a woman and wearing makeup, and he was being called Christmas in jail. Wait a minute. His, yeah. Was he a sweet transvestite from transsexual Transylvania? Maybe. <laughs> if you see him, he kind of looks, you know, that tall, Franken- skinny, yeah. little Frankenfurter going yeah, on there? Yeah, a little bit. But so his name was now Christmas. He preferred to be called Christmas. Oh, man, I feel bad for him. You want to know why? Because you don't like Christmas? No, because Christmas only comes once a year. There was somebody who was on Big Brother who was named Christmas. I just love the blank look you get on your face whenever I throw it's shit like really that It's not really a blank look. It's like a look of disgust, and then I shut my eyes and shake my head. Yeah, you have no idea how much pleasure I get out of that, and then hearing your voice on the phone when you get, oh, for fuck's sake, Scott. Or I will get... The other day, though, I got you good because I was like, what? I can't hear you. I think I dropped the call. And then you're like, hey, can you hear me? I go, yes, I can. Because it was like, I want you to think that I didn't hear anything. Dick. (laughs) It was funny, though. Dick. I know. So um, Robert, on the other hand, even though Stephen had come out fully as a gay man, Robert, on the other hand, admitted he identified as a bisexual. Um. Is there enough for more than one cup? Oh, okay. That's a good idea. You want my cup? I, okay. Hang on. <laughs> oh, I didn't know they were two different sizes. Oh. I thought you got them together. Oh. 
Okay. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> We're talking about coffee cups, people, just so people know. Gotcha. Gotcha. So Stephen also said that he had no earthly idea why his twin brother Robert would walk into a police station to confess. Unless, of course, his brother's conscience was getting the better of him and he, quote, wanted to get it off his chest. Um, Even though he turned himself in, even though Stephen turned himself in when he murdered Ronald, he said that he had committed the murder when when. If he had committed the murder when Robert had, he never would have confessed to the crimes, which, you know, I kind of see where he's coming from because we never see anybody just walk in and confess except for one person. Um, So Gary even asked him if Robert had ever talked to him about killing anybody. And Stephen said, no, he'd never done that. Um, Then Gary later said after the interview In learning of Robert's twin, we also learned that Stephen had lived a life of crime, killing a man when he was 16 and never leaving prison for an extended period of time since, and this raised the inevitable nature versus nurture question, which is what this episode is basically about. Um, What what in their lives or upbringing shaped them into violent men they became? As they, as are they the eerie but consummate example of the harmonic behavior you sometimes hear with twins? Um, Robert Bruce Bahalski, this is the guy talking still, by himself with a, was a fascinating story. A serial killer whom the police first suspected of one murder in the early 90s, but who had managed to evade authorities until he turned himself in. Um but adding a murderous identical twin to the mix made the story even more bizarre. Um, Gary tries to answer the questions Scott and I always ask. He stated that while he was interviewing Stephen, he displayed the same disconnection with reality that Robert had while giving his confessions. He said in the prison interview... Stephen claimed he recently communicated with his 1971 victim through the computers at the prison, despite the fact that inmates aren't even um, aren't given unfettered access to computers, and also despite the fact that his victim, of course, is dead. So how could he have committed, you know, communicated with him if he doesn't have access to a computer and the guy is dead? Um. Gary goes on to say, Stephen tells that the two he and Robert often had, of the two, he and Robert often had those experiences you hear of with twins, thinking similar thoughts, though miles apart, and knowing what each other is up to. By computer, he meant Ouija board. Just saying. Probably. Just trying to help you out with that one. He meant Ouija board. Probably, which that's going to come up in my next episode. (laughs) I must have ESP or something. Yeah, because an e- a Ouija board is mentioned in the next episode. Sweet. Yeah. That one is fucking scary. But anyways, um, let's see. Clearly, there's a connection between twins that, su- that often seems almost psychic. And I've seen that before in twins, even fraternal twins. I have a friend who has fraternal twins, and one will get hurt. Like, he- there was one time when his brother fell and really, like, 
tore up his leg. I think he even broke it. And the other twin said, you know, he said, there's something wrong with so-and-so. And his mom goes, what are you talking about? He goes, he's hurt. And his mom goes, how do you know? Did he call you? He goes, no, I just know he's hurt. And Last he, he to, came and told me he fell down a yeah, well. Well, and Johnson come to place. find out his brother had broke his leg. I've always had an actual serious wonder about twins. Yeah. If one has an orgasm, can the other one feel it? No, I'm, you give me a look, but I'm serious because they can feel the pain. Just thinking if, you know, one sits there and goes, oh, my God, that was amazing. You know, I fucking had this huge orgasm. If their twin is sitting there going, oh, my God, <laughs> Ooh, hold on, I need to sit down and have a cigarette. I just think it's funny that you only think about sex. Fine. Judge me all you want. I was just curious. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, by curious Scott. <laughs> Anyways, um, I'm not ready to make a definite leap to judgment with the that the genesis of the brutal acts of these two um, was as much genetic as environmental. But I also meant that I'm not ready to dismiss that possibility. This is him saying it. Um, when it comes to the twins attitudes though concerning the homicides they didn't seem to be similar um according to gary in the guys in um robert's confession he expressed remorse but was it sincere um only he could only he can tell robert can tell and he's also a hustler because that was well known he had a, a male escort business and all that other stuff so he knew how to hustle so he could lie with the best of them. Um, Steven, on the other hand, still seems to believe that his killing was totally justified. So he has no remorse for it. Um, in the interview, Steven also claimed that there had to be good reasons for his brother to kill people. They must, uh, Steven said they must have deserved it. He said of his brother's victims as if the only as if the killings were self-defense and not the talking of innocent taking of innocent lives as much as the four murders were. Um, uh, he, you know, then Gary goes on and he talks about um, that Robert had a bout of conscience and was generally remorseful. If only enough, if only long enough to turn himself in. Okay, okay, no, it makes sense, yeah. Yeah, it also seems that his final victim had been a friend of his, and perhaps that was what prompted his remorse. True, yeah. Which I can see that, yeah. you know. And then I've also saw on an interview that somebody asked a psychiatrist if it was even possible for him to feel remorse because he was. they tried to diagnose him as a sociopath, and she said every once in a while they will feel remorse but it's only for a fleeting second, and often it's remorse because of the situation they're in, not what they cause the victim. Okay, no, that makes sense too, yeah. yeah. So, um, let's see. Oh, the, the realization that his, his, this time his violence had taken someone who had generally been kind towards him, not just somebody who had, you know, turned on him. Uh, you could surmise that he turned himself in because he likely would have been targeted as a suspect because of his connection with the victim, which is possible. But the weakness with his theory is the fact that Robert had been a suspect in other murders he committed, but always managed to avoid arrest because he did things to alter it or, you know, he took that guy's car and 
but it was like he just took the car. They don't think he killed him. Um, given that, it's likely that he believed he could literally get away with murder, even though he turned himself in. And that's why it does seem more likely that he truly regretted his final slaying, um, that he probably didn't regret the other ones. Now, this is where I get into the nature versus nurture aspect. In the book, The Antisocial Personalities, David Lichen talked about, ooh, whipped cream and all, talked about comparing, oh my God, I got to do my mama's, your home joke, comparing numerous studies of twins conducted across several different cultures. The studies were done in an effort to determine exactly how her heritable, heritable, whatever, violent behavior truly is. His conclusion was that there are, in fact, certain heritable personality traits that you can inherit um, that are more often present in violent individuals than they are in nonviolent. Like dynamic. Oh, sorry. They include risk-taking, aggression, impulsivity, adventure-seeking, and fearlessness. According to Lichen's book, this means the propensity for violence can be inherited, which is what... Um, Mengele tried to correct distinguish yes. whether certain things were inherited or if they were genet, uh, you know, environmental. Correct. So, you know, in regards to Robert and Stephen, it seems the brother did have the heritable traits. Studies conducted with monozygotic, which are identical twins. Gotcha. You kind of <laughs> yeah. lost me on that one. No, because I'm quoting him, so I have to, you know, um. With a myo, monozygotic twin subjects indicated an increased incident of both twins being violent and antisocial when compared to studies conducted on fraternal twins. Oh. Okay? Okay. Um, granted, some of the behavior can derive from the, envi- it, the environment the subjects are exposed to. For example, their cultural affirmations... Their culture's affirmations regarding violence and the quality or lack thereof of parenting. Okay? So it depends on basically how the society views violence and how you were raised. Um, now, however, there are also a few examples of environments in which most siblings in general, not just in the case of twins, when raised together become violent. Um, that tends to increase when there is a history of childhood abuse or parental criminality. So they're saying that even if, I mean, for instance, my sister and I, who are five years apart, if we were raised in an abusive family or whatever, child abuse and, uh, or if our parents committed crimes, even though we're five years apart, we could, you know, inherit that thing. That makes sense. Yeah. So for, in his book for evil twins, um, John Glatt gathered studies involving violent twins. However, he too was not able to find pairs of twins like the Spahalskis. Okay. I mentioned some cases at the beginning that I found when I did my own cursory search, but I still want to share some of his findings with you. There was a couple of cases which with Gene and Jane Hopkins, again, stupid ass names and Gloria and Gretchen Graham, not bad, but they're two G's where twin mothers murdered their children together. However, the majority of the twins involved in John's study indicated the twins turning violence on themselves, where they were violent towards each other. Gotcha, okay. Yeah. 
one set of twins, Betty and Peggy Wilson, allegedly hired a hitman together because they wanted to murder Betty's husband. Now, you see, those names make more sense for twins. Betty man. and Peggy, yeah. Yeah, they're far apart. They're not like, uh, I don't know, Dean and Dina. That's fucking stupid. Well, Peggy was probably a Matilda, I think it is, that they called them Peggy, which makes no sense. I thought they called Peggy women that put on strap-ons, but okay. No, they called them Peggers. Oh, same thing. Instead of Pragers. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like pegging tonight, like pegging tonight. There <laughs> we go ahead. Yeah, well, you know. Anyways, um, where was I? Oh, you were right here in shut Vancouver. Up. Then there was the case of George and Stephen Spitzer. Shut up, Scott. And they both grew up to be rapists. Okay. Now, then there's also a case involving a pair of notorious criminal twins. Wait a minute. Were they like notorious PIG? No. No. This was Reginald and. Ronald Cray. They were born 10 minutes apart in 1933, and their father was an army deserter. Okay? As in he left. He didn't, like, make desserts for the army or anything, No, right? yeah. He left. Okay. He, like, you know, went AWOL. So I make sure he wasn't, like, sending no. cupcakes for everybody. No. And remember, they were born in 1933, so it was, like, probably World War One when he deserted. Yeah, okay. That sounds accurate enough. Fuck it. Yeah. That checks out. Yeah. So... Almost as soon as they were born, they had a piss-poor role model because their father was a deserter. As they grew up, so too did their reputation for troublemaking. When they took up boxing and their boxing skills increased, their increasingly bad behavior was exacerbated. The pair eventually went on to follow in their father's footsteps when they deserted the military. And they were born over in UK. However, unlike their father, they went on to develop quite a criminal enterprise. They were almost like the beginning of the mafia mob over there. How does... Is there even a mafia or anything a like mob, that? A mob, yeah. A mob in fucking England. I mean, serious. I mean, they stop for like high tea and tea and crumpets and all that bullshit. I don't Just know. I know it. that there's a Dutch mafia because um, I found evidence of that being in my grandpa's side of the family. You are fucking disturbing as fuck. Yeah, they said Brit- they said Dutch royalty, but I didn't find that. I found hints of Dutch mafia. It's all wooden shoes and ass raping. Okay, go for it. <laughs> There's a town in Iowa that uses their school marches, their school band marches in wooden shoes, which I've heard is very uncomfortable. Just shoot me now. This world has gone to hell. That's what it is. <laughs> Orange City Dutchman. I need more drugs. So would I if I had to march in wooden shoes. Because <laughs> no I was in marching band, and we at least got to wear white tennis shoes. I would beat somebody with wooden shoes. And I our colors were on. green and white. We had to wear white pants, white shirt, and a green vest to like march a, in. Like a fungus. Okay, cool. Yeah. Bad. So um, their enterprise specialized in racketeering, arson, and armed robbery. When Ronald shot a man, Reginald was appalled, like, like publicly appalled, by the action, and it created a rift between them. Okay, in later years, Ronnie underwent psychological evaluation. The guy who shot the guy um, underwent psychological evaluations, and he was deemed to be a paranoid schizophrenic. Okay. okay, over the years, their fortunes fluctuated until 1967, 
when Reginald wound up stabbing a man to death. So the the guy who was the twin who was appalled by his brother shooting a man. Stabbed a man. Man, you don't shoot anybody. You stab him like a stab real man. Stab them, motherfuckers. Yeah. Shank a bitch. So an informant responsible for the Cray twins being arrested, and both were convicted of two murders. Each of them was sentenced to serve life in prison. After they both died approximately five years apart from each other, their family had them buried in the same grave. Jesus Christ. That's fucked up, actually. Yeah, that's kind of weird. But... Gail Anderson seems to have a more current study in regards to twins and violence. She talks about in her book, Influences on Criminal Behavior, and she also came to the conclusion there can be some genetic predispositions towards crime. Her studies were conducted on subjects living in several different Western countries. Okay? In Gail's studies, however, they there appeared to be more of a heritable component in regards to pro- property crimes, which is, you know, burglary, robbery, you know. Any kind of theft. Yeah. yeah. There wasn't much evidence of that component pertaining to violent crimes, and especially not homicide in general. When one takes into account that there aren't very many actual criminal cases of that, I mean, in regards to all other crime out there, murder is not a very common criminal case. This number makes sense. Okay? So when Gregory Moffat wrote A Violent Heart, he explained it that even though there are very rare exceptions, violent individuals are not born that way. He said instead they become violent through the process of culture and sociological interaction, individual physiology, and psychological development. I disagree. I think that some people are born born little fucking evil shits. Yeah, they are truly semen demons. Yeah, you know, when you're looking at someone's family history and you go, man, mom and dad are really attentive. They're, they're, they're doing oh, yeah. their best, you know, but they're not like coddling you or anything. They're, they're doing everything relatively right with mm-hmm. few mistakes. And then their little semen demon, little fucking crotch goblin goes out there and rapes somebody. Yeah. You know, or kills somebody. Right. Who, who do you, are you looking at the parents going, well, what did you do wrong? No, the parents did everything right. It's just little kids, just a fucking well, asshole. And we saw that with Ng. Right. Remember, they were a very affluent family, even though they were from China. Very affluent family. Very hot, you know, a lot of money. Every time Ng got in trouble, his dad tried to get him help. Right. And he still ended up killing all these people. Exactly, you know? Yeah. And and it can be argued. I know that some of you people out there are going to argue with me about this bullshit and go, well, you don't know what happens behind the scenes. Maybe mommy and daddy didn't give them enough hugs or whatever. They would have said that in court. Yeah, there would have been something, and even if there isn't, how many times can you use that as an out? Like, really, uh, well, mommy and daddy didn't pay attention. How many How many times are people going to make excuses for the yeah, bad behavior of other people? Yeah, and I always say, people? at one point, when does it become, when does it change from, I did this because so-and-so did this to me, that, you know, I did this because I chose to do this. And that's what everything comes down to, honest mm-hmm. to God. You know, let's go back to the anger management thing. One thing that I did learn, and I, I state today, is, Nobody can piss me off. Mm-hmm. Nobody can make me be violent, by the way. Nobody. Not a fucking person. Right. You, anybody else can make me become violent. But yeah, I can choose yeah. to become violent. Right. And we learned that in drug treatment. Yeah. You know, it's not because of how I was treated growing up that I used drugs. I chose to use drugs. And that's, what, that's where a lot of people nowadays 
want to blame it on everybody else oh, but the everybody. person actually fucking doing yeah. it. It's not his fault. Look at the way he was raised. Yeah, no, at the end of the day, it's your fucking fault because you made that choice. Yeah. You made the choice. Nobody fucking said, hey, you have to steal this car or we're going to, like, kill you or we're going right. to force you to do it. No, you made a conscious effort. Yeah, not everybody's like Patty Hearst. Which one was Patty Hearst? Pa- Patty Hearst is the woman that got kidnapped and developed, you know, the uh, Stockholm Syndrome. Oh, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm back with you now. Yeah. yeah. You know, those cases are few and far between. Yeah. 99% of the time, it's the choices that we make as people, as individuals. Yeah. And not somebody else's fault. Now, there's contributing factors that will help you be able to have the skills to make that choice or not make that choice. But at the end of the day, people need to be fucking responsible for their own actions. Yeah, stop blaming everybody else. Right. Like my it, poor upbringing or whatever. Exactly. I mean, because I was, you and I were both abused, and we're not out there killing people. <laughs> I don't know. Those neighbors. Well, I'm not. <laughs> so, Deborah Niehoff, um, I was able to find one, her, who talked about the influences in a more precise way. Uh, neur- she's a neuroscientist and she conducted a study for a period of 20 years. Okay. Her, they were part of her study and she compiled the research from that study in her book. It's called the biology of violence. And in it, she states the decision to commit violence is unique in each individual, which means each individual Chooses basically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm. I'm on board with that. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just processing how it's being right. presented. Yeah. So Deborah goes on to say the biggest lesson we have learned from brain research is that violence is the result of developmental process, a lifelong interaction between the brain and the environment, because the brain keeps track of our experiences through chemical codes. In other words. Every time we experience an interaction, we approach it with a neurochemical profile that has been influenced by attitudes that were developed over the years, whether or not we feel the world is safe, whether we can trust our instincts, okay? Right. And after every interaction we have, we update that neurological, the neurochemical profile of the world, which I understand that. Yeah, I totally agree. And I agree yeah, with that. because... It's like every interaction we've had, like, for instance, let's put it this way. Women who are abused, who get out of an abusive relationship, have a trouble getting in a relationship with everybody else because of their experience with that first one. Actually, they tend to choose, and this is guys too, choose other abusive relationships because while they know it's wrong, it offers up normality. Because no, that too. That's the, like, and you can track this back wow. to most people's childhood. Right. Um. If you're raised in an abusive household, you know what's wrong. Right. This is, that's the same that you didn't get help to correct this problem. But uh, so you're going to seek out other abusers because you know what's wrong. You know you don't want to be abused. right. A lot of women do do that. Right. So you're not going to want me sitting there calling you foul names all the time and beating right. you down and, and demeaning you. Right. You know what I'm doing is wrong. However, it's normal. Right. In your mind, you're all, this is what I'm kind of used to. So, and I, I found this out while doing research on my own over years and years, is that people will seek out what is normal for them. Mm-hmm. And when they get into a normal relationship where somebody's not following that same path, it's really difficult mm-hmm. because you're expecting it. Mm-hmm. And that normality doesn't 
what's normal to you um, doesn't offer up that you're not getting that same stimuli mm-hmm. because all of a sudden nobody's sitting there doing things like putting you down. Well, you and abusing I were talking you about this with your ex-wives. Yeah, exactly. Like you don't really, you know, you tend to choose people who are freaking psychotic. Tend, yeah, yeah. That's generally. that was my. I said tend. I said tend. I'm not excluding certain people. Tend. Tend. <laughs> Nut job. Oh, yeah. I could die at any moment. It's, it's wonderful. Um, no. Um, a, a, a excluding my special person. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no. I 100%. I, because of the... And, and I tracked it back. And this is all in order to fix me. I had to figure this out on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't until I was in my early 40s that I figured that out. Right. But... um. It's a succession of normally just very abusive relationship mm-hmm. after relationship, excluding my first wife. Right. Because me and Maritza are still super tight. We talk right. all the time. She's a wonderful right. person. But that didn't work out because of the, well, there were, there were several complications with that. But it wasn't nothing that where she was abusive. Right. Um, you know, I tended to be more verbally abusive. Right. Um, so sometimes... Especially in the situation I'm in right now, it's difficult for me not to destroy it because to me, it's not normal. Right. You know, and I know that on the surface. You're expecting it. So it's like. Well, on the, on, on the surface, I'm telling myself, no, I don't want to be put down and demeaned and, and, and emasculated. Right. You know, because I know that's wrong and I know how it makes me feel. Right. But there's that little part of your brain going, you know, you deserve all this. Right. Because. This is your life. This right. is this is who you are. Well, and sometimes you, we tend to expect those things, so we self t- sabotage until it happens. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. And then we can blame them for the demise of the relationship. Yeah, no, I've been down that road too. Yeah. yeah. Have you tried your hot chocolate yet? Not yet. You should try this fucking. Movie. It was hot, and there was a lot of whipped cream. I like it when it's creamy. I like it when it's hot. Did you make I it with it. peppermint schnapps? Nope, cream de mint. A very hmm. good cream de mint. It is, actually, because some cream mints are kind of nasty. Have you known me to ever buy anything cheap for my, for my boost No, collection? I've noticed your spice rum has almost gone already. <laughs> I've been hitting that a little bit. <laughs> got to get I, more spice rum mix. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so she also said um, that her study indicated some individual reactions can be distinct characteristics. For instance, if a person is aggressive, they can either underreact or overreact. Correct. Now, a person who overreacts tends to be physiologically hyperactive and have a shorter attention span. So usually, you know, ADD people. Right. Which I tend to do that, especially if I'm in a manic phase because I'm also bipolar. If I'm in a manic phase and I'm going through my attention, if I haven't taken my ADD meds, I will overreact like nobody's business. Well, I, I want to put this out there because I do try to help our listeners that need it. And most of you don't need this, but maybe one or two of you do. Is one thing that helps me not, it kind of keeps me on track from sabotaging my current situation. It's timeouts. Timeouts help a lot. Like that really does. But her and I don't really have a problem because we've known each other for a while. We've had one argument, I think. I think it's one. Which was a total misunderstanding. Oh, um, that's common with you, huh? Well, it was, it was a one-time thing, and then we figured it out. But um, 
one thing that keeps me from doing horrible shit is, on the one hand, like I said, my brain's telling me I deserve to be abused, mm-hmm. but I always remind myself what it's like to be loved. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of talk myself down from destroying shit. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a skill I want to pass on to other people who are listening right. that could help out tremendously. Yeah. Well, and yeah, and that's the thing is I was in a very good relationship with somebody where we never argued. We did. And if we did have an argument, we would take some time away from each other, then come back. And we always apologize within a couple of hours. No matter who was wrong, we'd be like, you know what? I'm sorry I reacted that way or whatever. However, I hate to be lied to. Don't lie to me. That makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, because no matter what, even if you develop feelings for somebody else or want to have sex with somebody else. If you come and talk to me about it, even if you talk to me after you did it and I don't have to find out otherwise, you know, later I'm okay with that. I can work through that. Yeah. no, I don't like being lied to. Well, he had developed a relationship with somebody and had been cheating on me for almost two months. And I found out. So now it's like, you know, for instance, if I'm in a good relationship with somebody and everything, I doubt whether they're telling me the truth or not, you know? And then my last ex-boyfriend, you know, the one down in Happy Valley area, him and I were together and I had told him about this and it's not like I didn't trust him because I always try to trust people right away, right? you know, until they give me a reason not to. But I had told him this had happened to me. So every time he told me he was out doing stuff with his family, he would text me pictures. Like, if you said he was at a Blazers game, he would text me a picture of the Blazers playing. And I'm like, you know, you really don't have to do that. He goes, I know, but I'm doing it for you. And I was like, wow. You know, I didn't ask him to do it, you know. Right, He was just doing it to put my mind at ease. You know. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah. So I didn't self-sabotage that one. He kind of did, but I didn't. No, that makes sense, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Down with that, yeah. So there are also the aggressive individuals who tend to underreact and they are the ones that have difficulty with empathy development, um, a lower than average. Okay. This is going to, you have to bear with me, but she used the terms galvanic skin response. And that refers to the automatic, uh, automatic activation of our sweat glands. Oh, which if we have that, we start to get tense and nervous and shit. And we know that, you know what I mean? And it invokes like empathy and all that shit. Okay. Uh, Or remorse. And then they have a lower than average rate of metabolism, which we have seen. Yeah. So that's why I don't believe you're a serial killer, Scott. But that's why we have seen some individuals (laughs) who don't eat a lot when they're out there committing their crimes. And remember freaking Isaac Keys, who went out and had stomach surgery, so he didn't have to eat a whole lot. No, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah. And then they also have difficulty attaching emotions to their actions, like how they were feeling when they committed a crime. Or, you know what I mean? Yeah, or yeah. What, making sense, what yeah. triggered that crime. So, however, she does say that just that just not everybody who has a similar action of both physiological factors and psychological factors in their life will always turn to violence. They won't. 
Well, that's true. I think yeah. it all still comes down there to are, choice. Yeah, there are also other factors at play. <laughs> oh, that's all I had. So, you know, so that brings, it really doesn't answer the question of nature versus nurture so much, but it kind of does. Yeah, sort of. I still think that most things come down to choice. There, there's some exceptions. Yeah. Because if if you are schizophrenic, right. then that's a contributing factor. Right. Okay, so that can, might not actually be... But that's more a, nature because you can't control right, that. Right, that's... Yeah. Uh, your, your choices are being influenced by mm-hmm. a mental illness. Exactly. But I think the majority of the people that are sitting there blaming everybody else, it's yeah. their fucking choice. Well, nine times out of ten, when we have that... Nature versus nurture question, we usually say nurture. Nurture. Oh, 100%. Because you can there see. There are a few of them we have said nature. Because you can see a pattern, especially when you're talking about any of the cases that we researched that's before the 90s. Right. Because um, there's not a lot of mental health and shit like oh, that. Oh, totally. And um, so you, you can see where, like, and one of the favorite, my favorite ones that, we, that I love pulling up and you do too is Carol Cole. Carol Cole was out there seeking help. Yeah. Literally, not even exaggerating, literally. Begging for help and saying, look, if you let me out of here right now, I'm going to kill somebody. Right. And even somebody, doctor documented that he can only perform sexually if he's killing the woman. Right. In an act of violence. Yeah. And yet they go, eh. the, the, when we checked himself into that one mental hospital, I think it was in um, Arizona or Nevada right. and they, or something like that. I think that. it was Nevada and they gave him a fucking bus ticket yeah. and told him, go on to San Diego. Yeah, go to San Diego. You're fine. Get yeah. out of here. We, we, we don't, don't want to deal scamp. with you. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's begging for help. He's telling the cops, no, it's me. I'm your killer. I'm right here. Well, though, yeah. Sir, step aside. We're yeah. looking for a horrible murder. No, it's me. I'm the murderer. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's really great. Hey, Bob. I think we might catch this killer, but we need to look for clues. I'm your clue right here. Sir, yeah. step aside. We're investigating. Right. It's, Jesus fucking Christ. What does this guy have to do to right. get help? And I also like to bring up Carl Panzram. Because oh, even yes. though he didn't seek help, he was victimized at every turn. Yes. Since seven years old. Man. Yes. Maybe and, before well, that. Well, I think it was when his father died. Left. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're right. Left. My bad. But, yeah. And it's like, you know... He was victimized, so that's all he knew, and so he chose to become the victimizer so he wasn't a victim anymore. Right, and look at that. Look when he was around. Well, was it was 1920s, wasn't it? Yeah. I think, or 19, yeah, 1920s. Well, he died 19, he was killed in 1936. He was hung in 1936. Right. I bet you he was hung. Anyway, <laughs> almost choke on that if one. He were, yeah, if he were alive nowadays, he would be your other Patrick Kearney. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe, but nobody's my Patrick, because, Pat, I miss you. You might love you a lot. Got to write me, motherfucker. I'm hopelessly devoted I am. to you. Love Patrick. <laughs> but um, especially in that era right there, uh-huh. we're talking before Freud. And Freud really kicked it all off, even though I think a lot of his theories are kind of hokey. Because you can't blame everything yeah, on Yeah, because that was around the 1920s. Because we talked about with Leopold Loeb. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so the, the, there's not a whole lot to help somebody like him. Right. He's transient he's moving around all the time he's a career criminal who's always been victimized so you have all these internal feelings mm-hmm. and no way to get that exactly. out and no other resources to say hey look we uh-huh. know that you've been fucked over but let me show you a better way of living this is all he knows but now when we take that same scenario and we put it into the, uh where we're at now 2021 mm-hmm. there's huge 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 advancements we got medication we know more about how the, the human mind functions, chemical releases, mm-hmm. um, and what does what, and synaptic firings and things like that. 
Um, so yeah, in, in today's society, there's there's everything comes down to your choice, right? Because there's so much help out there, right? For that, and it was which surprises me because like if you're if you're a nut job and you need help, you can get help. Oh yeah. But if you're a junkie, you can't. You can't. Right, because I talk about it all the time. Washington County has a program that if you're indigent and your insurance, even if you have insurance and your insurance doesn't pay, so you being very, you know, significantly affluent, if your insurance didn't pay for health, mental health care, Washington County, if you live there, would pay for it. And I think everybody should have that. Like, seriously, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to drug and alcohol treatment, because a lot of yeah. crimes happen because of drug and alcohol well, abuse. Well, and... This is really weird, and I haven't brought it up before on here. Well, but it's a contributing factor is what I'm right. saying. Right. No, I'm, I mean, and that's what I'm getting into with the drug and alcohol use and everything is when I was in county jail. It was back at the old Washington County Jail. If anybody knows, it was like dungeons in there. But um, we were in there, and you were housed in pods. So you had like 10, 15 people in the same pod. Okay. okay? Yes, you were locked in either single man doubles or quad cells with people at night they shut the door so you couldn't access the day room so a little party party with the yeah well and they did that mainly so that the people in solitary confinement because they were housed in the same pod just locked in a door behind a door they could have access to the day room for an hour oh okay yeah Fair enough. so anyways so we were in this situation and this woman was brought in and she she was very obviously split personality disorder. Oh, she and then she said that she would slip into one personality. And Tracy Berry, who was one of the like um, newscasters in Portland, okay. she literally thought this other personality every time Tracy Berry came on the news when we watched it, she literally thought that that woman tried to kill her. Maybe she was. You can't trust that. And it's like, okay. So it was like really weird. But then she got out. You know, she got some medication. She kind of balanced out. Then she got out. She came back within three weeks because she got caught trespassing at the same house again because she swore, one of her personalities swore, that that guy invited her over. Maybe he did. Okay. Well, anyways, and back then, it's really weird, but I had a really weird haircut where I had, like, around my head, I had long hair, but underneath, in the back, I had it shaved. So, weirder than now. Yeah. So, I did that because my hair used to be so thick. I mean, like, you couldn't even wrap your finger around my ponytail. I mean, my hair was thicker than your dick, Scott. Well, most dicks, actually. (laughs) I'm just saying I'm not even going to touch that with a used dildo. So go ahead. Yeah. So anyways, my hair was very thick and it got very hot. So I did it like that to, you know, to kind of help beat the heat. And so I had my hair like that. Well, when she came back three weeks later, her hair was like that. And sometimes when you talk to her, she would say her name was Tammy. So she had developed me as one of her personalities. Makes me, I want her whole profile. I want to fucking. Yeah, because it, I mean, and it was really weird. But she, when she was in that personality, she was outgoing and bubbly and exuberant like I am. It it was weird. That's fucking bizarre shit, man. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, kind of. But you kind of, I mean, but I said that to say that we do things to adapt to our situation. 
No, and I'm all for adapting. Yeah, I, I, I can but we that. also, at the same time, because we can even put the question, I mean, the thing in there for people who are nature bad, you know, the ones that we feel are just born that way. Because right. like with Ing, he had every opportunity for help. Yes. And he was given that help, yet yep. he still chose to do it. Yeah, 100% choice. You know? So, yeah, it's, I mean, and if you're abused and everything, even if you don't get help, you're still choosing to commit that crime. Exactly. So it's it goes the same both ways. Yeah. I just, you know, so, yeah, but I do believe that there are some people out there that are born evil. Oh, yeah. That they are given every possibility, every chance to change, and given the help they, they've needed, and they choose not to. Well, we're talking about Carl. Imagine if his story changed. He's seven years old. Oh, okay? yeah. He breaks into the neighbor's house. He steals that piece of cake mm-hmm. and the apple, mm-hmm. okay, and even the gun. Mm-hmm. But instead of him going to juvenile hall or going mm-hmm. to court, somebody took him aside and said, hey, wait a minute. Number one, why did no, you No, he was 11 it? when he did that. 11, that but was yeah. it. I forgot it was 11. Instead of sending him away going, hey, wait a minute. Hey, are you eating okay at home? Yeah, because well, no, you stole food. apples and fucking cake. He was hungry. Yeah. You know, so if, if they would have identified it, and that's how we would do it today. Mm-hmm. There's questions that would be asked. Mm-hmm. But um, if they would have asked him those same questions and, it, and he would reveal, hey, no, we don't have a lot of food. These brothers, I got these sisters and my mom, and we just don't have enough food. And I was hungry. Yeah. He had they five could, brothers and sisters. So they yeah. can address the problem mm-hmm. at its core. Yeah. At its core right there. Imagine how his life would have changed. Mm-hmm. Because now he's not going off to a, a reform school where he's going to get raped mm-hmm. constantly every fucking day and beaten. He's not going to be inclined to hop on a fucking box train and get gang raped and get gang raped. You know, Mm -hmm. it would have changed his whole living dynamic. He wouldn't have ever been on our show. Right. Well, and you can add to that his criminality and stuff because he did start. He got that drunk and disorderly when he was seven. Yes, that was but it. that was triggered, I believe, by his father leaving. Oh, totally. So if you can take into consideration if his father didn't leave. That probably wouldn't have happened either. I mean, it would have started that, you know, snowball of hell. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, remember, but he was also the one that, I mean, told them he was a serial killer because nobody yeah. knew he was. And second of all, he asked to die. He wanted to die. And yeah. when they didn't give him the death penalty, he made sure they did. <laughs> exactly. So. So all I can say to that is, hurry up, you Hoosier bastards. I could have killed 10 men while you're screwing around. That's right, you Hoosier bastard. But yeah, <laughs> so, I mean, there is that argument. But at the same time, yes, it does boil down to choice. No matter what. Agreed. So, yeah. So that was my Spahalski twins and how they were, you know, they were against the norm of any twin out there. Fascinating. I like that story. Yeah. All right. Remember, you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check out the website at www.TwistedBlueLLC.com. Click on that Amazon link. It helps out the show. doesn't cost you a damn thing extra. It's just a nice thing to do. And if you're really sweet and nice and you enjoy my sexy voice and talking about Tammy's mom, Check out Nobody the Patreon page. There's a there's a little quiz you can take on there just for fun. And uh, you can help out the show that way there, too. And everything is appreciated. We do have merch on the way. It should be here. I think uh, we're getting at the 23rd. Yeah, and so then we're going to have giveaways for that merch. Yeah, and That's not going to be stuff we're going to sell, though, I don't yeah, think. I, I think yeah. we talked about it. I, I, I think we had talked about not selling it because we're going to have so little of it. 
That makes sense because you yeah. keep all the notes and you keep me in line yeah. for what the fuck I can't remember. So that also yeah. helps. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, and wherever you get your blogs from. You get all the information, but I have to put up with even half of my bullshit, which for some of you, you're like, thank God. Others of you are going, but Scott, we want to hear the bullshit that you talk. Tell me about Tammy's mom again and putting a thumb in her butt. Nobody says that. I bet you they all do. Nobody. How many fingers, Scott? Did you ride her like a like like a stolen horse? Nobody said that and stop talking <laughs> about that. Creamfield Twinkies. Anyway, this show's copyrighted 2021 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights reserved, and we will see you guys tomorrow. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.